This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. And Truth Table. By Truth Table, Black women's musings on life, love, and liberations everywhere where books are sold. Online, in the stores, at your mama pop bookstore. Go buy our book. Everywhere. Period. And Jubilee Financial Services, where we empower individuals, families, nonprofits, and small businesses to build tax-free wealth through affordable life insurance. Visit Jubilee Financial Services at jubileefinancialgroup.com. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwest Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, Michelle. How you doing, girl? I should say M. M. What am I talking about? M. <laughs> How you doing, girl? Well, I don't even know what the I don't even know what the original well is anymore. <laughs> the well, it changes all the time. Come on, that's that's the rule. Ships. It shifts for occasion. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right, girl. How you doing today? We're doing all right. Yeah, I'm trying to get the springtime to poke through the winter time, girl. So yeah, how's it going over there, girl? I promise. I, I for me, I well, listen. Winter is not fun, but something about spring makes me a little mad <laughs> because it doesn't know what it wants to be. You know, it's given winter in the morning, then it's given summer slash spring in the afternoon, and then given winter again. You know, I just coat on twice a day. I just, I can't. I probably, and then allergies and then the blood bugs start popping. I was like, you know what? You need to decide what, what you going to be. Is it Uchi Wally or one mic? Make a choice. Make a choice. confusion. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I feel. I have, I have feelings about spring. I just, that's why I just, be like, I just, I just erase spring in my mind because I'm on the East coast, but I just, I'm just, be like, I just be waiting for summer. I just be waiting for summer because that's definitive and it's no the best guesses. season in my opinion. No, no guesses, right? Summer, summer rain. I could do with summer rain, Okay, but okay. I need some stability. Yeah, you, you need some stability in the weather pattern. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, uh, what's what's on the table? I feel like this is kind of sort of special, Michelle. <laughs> I know. Well, today is a very exciting occasion because we have yet another episode of Behind the Book, and we are talking about Achimene's chapter, Decolonized Discipleship. All right now, all right now. It <laughs> is, you know, I feel like this one's been developed over experience and yeah. teaching and studying. So this one's kind of a long time coming. Or or what would you say? How did this chapter come to be? Yeah, you know, I guess this one, yeah, this one is like a long time coming. And I guess you you could say this one is uh, hard rod experiences, <laughs> um, I would say. And so it, this one, yeah, it was really birthed out of my own, um, you know, uh, dalliance, if you will, um, with uh, white evangelical spaces, right? Because of s- seminary. Prior to that, I was like, okay, what's this? And so I didn't, didn't know anything about it, <laughs> you know, because uh, I got saved in the uh, black uh, Pentecostal egalitarian church, non-denominational um, egalitarian church. And so this was completely foreign, you know, to the the tradition or context that um, the seminary that I attended, you know, was born out of. And, and then the other spaces, subsequent sta- spaces where, you know, um, maybe conferences were held and and things like that. And so this topic um, is one that I, I've been mulling over for many years then, you know, so I, originally it, it springs from, um, uh, well, 
decolonize discipleship, the actual blog post that I wrote uh, back in 2018. So, so it's been several years. Uh, but it also predates, though, the current um, movement toward deconstruction and decolonization, uh, which I, I do see deconstruction and decolonization as two different projects. And um, and so, yeah, so it was just things I was wrestling with. And so I, I, so I had to re, re, revisit this topic again, something that I felt like was already settled <laughs> because I did it so many years before. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is what the people are talking about now? I was like, oh, that means I actually have to write about this. And so, so I kind of wrote a, I wrote this chapter kind of sort of reluctantly, uh, because I was over it and I don't want to be insensitive. I just was like over it. And I've been, I've, um, been so far removed from those spaces for many, several years now. And so that's why I was like, uh, (laughs) so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't exactly thrilled to write that one, but I knew it was necessary, I think, to provide you know, some insight and intervention again, um, because I know that just because I'm no longer like experiencing that or having these issues doesn't mean that there are not other people that do. And I just, I don't know that that's unloving, right? <laughs> to, to simply go, I'm over, I'm off of it. So I ain't talking about that. It's my prerogative to choose what I want to write about. But I thought it was important because I see the prevalence of this. And I was like, you know what? And I see a lot of people are struggling um, with this and and, and, and the things that, that precipitated their need to dis- deconstruct or decolonize or reconstruct, right? Or all these different um, words that are used synonymously. I don't see them as <laughs> synonymously, but people do use them synonymously. So I thought it was important to, to write and to speak into it. So I did. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense that there's a kind of communal contribution is a contribution to the community of persons who either may not get to absorb every piece of um, conversation on the podcast right. where you talk about this particular topic, or they may not have um, direct or immediate, soon enough access to the blog right. where you, you know, give this framework. Um, so as you were writing, did you have kind of a profile, a demographic in mind? Because obviously you weren't doing it for yourself at this point. It's very um, something you're offering to the community. Uh, who specifically in the community were was on your heart, on your mind when you were writing? Yeah, that's a good question. I know because, yeah, this one is much more, it's not as um, revealing of my interior life, you know, as colorism or singleness chapter for sure. Those ones are very, very revealing. Um, I'm very vulnerable. <laughs> uh, Diaspora Dreams is more so forecasting, foretelling, right? A bit more prophetic in that way. Decolonized Discipleship, I have always said, and I still maintain, is the chapter that is that does go beyond the table. You know, so if people might be tempted to be like, well, this we're black women, so I just shouldn't buy this book. No, you should buy the book. You should pre-order the book. Okay, because support black women, that matters. <laughs> but there really is something in here for everyone. And so this particular chapter, I had to speak to the sisters, yes, but I also had to speak to the people in the standing room section too. Um, and I thought that was important to do both which is not easy to do, <laughs> but I had to do both. Yeah, I know, I see your face. It's not easy to do. Because 
oftentimes those needs and the concerns are not always aligned. But in this in this vein, I thought that I could hit it in different angles. And I think I did do that um, in this chapter. So I wanted to speak to the sisters at the uh, at the uh, dining room table. That works, though. <laughs> at the dining room table, you know, who are either in the black church or uh, are in white evangelical churches or white mainline churches or uh, multi-ethnic churches or were in those church spaces. One of those, what, four or five church spaces that I listed off. Then the standing room section people, right? So this would be black men, white, white folk, uh, regardless of gender, uh, our Asian, uh, our Asian fam, who, who are in the room too, you know, our Latin a fam who, who are around the table too, uh, who are in either one of those, you know, church spaces, but, uh, but most primarily I'm thinking these people are probably in white evangelical, white progressive, white mainline, you know, spaces. Um, and so I, so yeah, I had to, I had to think about those women. So I was thinking about the black Christian women that are primarily would identify as black Christians, but they didn't grow up in the black church, you know? Um, but I also did not, I didn't, couldn't give the black church an escape hatch. Cause I was like, this stuff shows up in different ways. <laughs> Here's a couple examples of how it shows up. And so for me, I, I was kind of thinking I, I wanted, I wanted to work from that. Um, I, I think that right assumption now that we can't assume that just cause they're black Christian means they grew up in the black church. That's just not the case for, for every black Christian. And so I wanted to speak to that constituency, um, specifically. Um, and so I, that's what I attempted to do in that chapter. And so, uh, so yeah, that's how, who I was visualizing, you know, every other chapter I was visualizing black women, you know, we're either black, we're at a conference, we're at a retreat or something. That's where I, I was literally talking to my sisters, you know, but for this one, it was like, all right, y'all, let's all get, let's get around. Let me tell you a little something. And then I'm going to be done with it. And I ain't going to say no, nothing, no more. So you got to just read the book. So, so that's where I was with that. That's what I did anyway, or tried to do. And I really think that does a lot of work to uh, reduce or diminish the uh, monolithic assumptions that we want to rid the church of, right? right? You know, Blackness as something that is diverse, um, like our brother Jamar says, by God's design. Right. You know, God deliberately diversifies even the cultures and ethnicities on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So you really have a multicultural um, perspective yes. from writing this book. Um, and we will talk so much more about that because I definitely want to know, you know, it, it is so much different from the other chapters in terms of focus, in terms of voice. Right. And I'd be interested to know if your process differed in terms yeah. of you know, yeah. voice and then even how you prepared or how you sustained yourself. You know, did you have different playlists that, you know, right. you would- Y'all stick around. We're going to cut for commercial break, but we will be right back to talk more about decolonized discipleship. Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation is a classic in the making, according to Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggett, author of Black Joy, Stories of Resistance, Resilience, and Restoration. New York Times bestselling author Dr. Jamar Tisby says that people often say, 
Listen to Black Women. Now at Truth's Table, you have your chance. We don't deserve the gift of this book, but once again, Black women have generously served us all. If we are to actually alleviate the immense burdens our sisters bear, then we must heed their words. T. Morgan Dixon, co-founder of Girl Trek, says this, There is a textured knowing in this book, a spiritual enlightenment, made brighter by the author's own personal breakthroughs. The way they describe the fabric of our collective trauma makes me trust their solutions. And Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford, founder of Therapy for Black Girls, says that Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, shines a light on some of our most vulnerable places as Black women, leaving no stone unturned. Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, is a clarion call to consider our communal truths by opening ourselves up to a deeper inner truth. By Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, wherever books are sold. See, I know that you get questions all the time about Bible study and how to study your Bible. What do you tell the people? Well, you know what? First of all, I'm excited that they want to study, right? But I also recognize that, you know, one of the things that really used to intimidate me about just studying scripture is that I would just, I would get overwhelmed with the text, right? And so one of the things I emphasize to people is to get yourself a a translation of the scripture that's easy for you to read, right? Because if it's easy for you to read, right, and there's accuracy as well, right, then you're going to enjoy reading. You're going to be more likely to sit at the table and open up your Bible and do that. And the Christian Standard Bible, for example, is easy to read, making it more likely for you and I to stick with our actual Bible reading. How about you? Well, yeah, you know, um, you're right about that. This The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, CSB, is a Bible translation for everyone, uh, wherever you are in your faith. And we know that people at the table are at different points in their faith and maybe even have some struggle opening up their word. And so the CSB's translation is for you, as this Bible has several editions and resources to help you along your journey of lifelong discipleship to Jesus, which is our goal here at Truth's Table. In addition, the CSB offers dozens of different editions to help readers engage with scripture in new and different ways. So if you're a journaling person, they got journaling by hey. If you are a meticulous study, if the studier, if you are a Berean, they got study Bibles. Hey, hey. Uh, they have commentary Bibles, just to name a few. There's an edition for everyone. So E, where can people go to get the Christian Standard Bible? They can go to csbible.com. I'm going to repeat it one more again. That's csbible.com. Akemini, you know what's sad to see? Um, when someone has lost a loved one and they're having to use something like a GoFundMe just to piece together the resources to provide for them an an honorable uh, homegoing service. Yeah, girl. And I, we've been there where we've had to bury relatives and have to, and this is pre GoFundMe, honestly, where we have Mm -hmm. to pull together money to bury our loved ones. And it's so hard when you're grieving, you don't want to have to do that type of labor absolutely, um, in order to give your loved one a dignified um, homegoing service. But we might not know how affordable and simple it is to obtain quality life insurance. That's why Jubilee Financial Group is part of the Symmetry Financial Group. Together, they partner with over 30 insurance companies to offer affordable solutions for mortgage protection, disability, retirement protection, term life, and more. Visit 
Jubilee Financial Services Group at jubileefinancialgroup.com to submit an inquiry and learn about how you can obtain affordable life insurance for you and your loved ones. Welcome back, sisters. We are continuing to talk about Decolonized Discipleship by Ekemeni. This is a chapter that you said the audience was much more broad than, um, you know, even picturing a lot of your narrative work. So I'm interested in how you developed, you know, the the flow, what was your process? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of teaching in here and you still do share, you know, so there's some personal aspects. Yes, uh, so how did you process? How did you prepare um, to sit down and really let this one flow? Yeah. Oh boy. That's a, yeah, that's a good question. Cause this one more than, I mean, more than the other chapters, uh, the, some of the other chapters were, uh, heavily adapted and expanded and morphed and changed into completely, you know, different, you know, uh, chapters from where they first started. Right. And that's the case with decolonized um, discipleship too. I think it's the one that's still most faithful though, to the original intent of that essay of the initial essay, which that essay is on um, my website. If y'all want to like compare and contrast, that might be kind of fun little task. I don't know. <laughs> You can go to um, systematictheology.com, which is uh, S-I-S-T-A-M-A-T-I-C, theology.com. And you can go to my blog and then you'll see Decolonized Discipleship. It was um, published in February, 2018. So that might be kind of fun to compare and contrast. Actually, now I just thought about it. I was like, oh, that might be fun. See the original and then see how the chapter um, was fleshed out and expanded. So the process was definitely having to look back at that essay and see like, okay, the core and the premise of the essay, I think I could still keep that the fundamental core and thesis, if you will, of that. Um, but I did think, I, I, I did feel like it was important to give a little bit more of an analysis of maybe what's causing the this modern uh, movement toward decolonization and um, deconstruction. Because in 2018, although we were under the the Trump regime, um, we were still in it. Right. And so people and people were leaving, but I don't know, it just, we were still right kind of in the beginning, you know, of that regime. And it wasn't until many years later that we began to see the real big, you know, fallout, um, additional fallout or even the consequences, right. Of some of those departures or changes or whatever, you know? Um, so to me, so that process was, it did involve reading, <laughs> my old blog to be like, okay, what could I keep? What do I cut out? What do I expand? Um, maybe what examples do I add in? And then since I had, this was written five years, four, four years later, three, four years later, there are more examples, <laughs> uh, more things that I experienced, you know, uh, even, um, the experiences that I, um, recount, I, even at my old previous church that occurred, that occurred probably before Decolonized Discipleship was published initially in 2018, or it had actually had happened on an incident, a more even more traumatic incident happened one month before that, that article was published. And that was an, an account that I actually did not include in the book. I could have, but I didn't because I'm a soft black woman. Remember, shout out to Rose. <laughs> Rose J. Person. But really, I, I just didn't, I, I didn't include it. 
Um, just because I don't believe we have to relive all our traumas <laughs> for the sake of connection and authenticity. I just don't believe that. <laughs> Got to keep some things for Jesus. Uh, but yeah, so, but, so I kind of, I wanted to be like, okay, I need to expand this. I need to include this. I had nothing, I had nothing in the black, about the black church in that piece. Um, because that piece, remember, was written. I actually talk about the, the original intent, actually, of that chapter was actually this white evangelical or asked me to write something about discipleship. And that's okay. And I had been turning over the concept um, of decolonized discipleship in my mind for a while, something I had been thinking about, a framework I've been considering. And so I said, like, okay, I'll write about that. And so that's actually, technically, that's how this actually came about. And then they rejected that. They didn't want to put it out because scared money. And so, and so, so that's what happened. Um, so that process of going at recounting that and remembering and like trying to dig through like emails, like, oh, it was a phone call. Okay. Remember like literally kind of tracing these incidents and remembering like, oh yeah, that was at that conference where the, where uh, Jesus's, uh, white Jesus's uh, hairline was receding um, at a black church. You know, it was just like, I had to go through all these traumatic, I was like, oh my goodness, I had to result, you know, like, re- recount all of these traumatic like, oh my goodness, histories, like <laughs> spiritual histories in my life, if you will. And I was like, oh, so anyway, so that is how the thing went back. I had to kind of go back into the recesses of my mind, some things that I had like kind of just like purposely like shut out of my mind because I'm like, this is ridiculous <laughs> and traumatic. Uh, but I had to revisit those things in order to give c- some concrete examples of what this might look like. Because I think you're tempted to say, the temptation is, it's all white supremacy. No, you know, and everything is racism and 99.9% of the time. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I agree. And I say that, but there is sexism. There is misogynoir. You know what I mean? Uh, there are power dynamics that need to be accounted for. Uh, there is patriarchy. You know what I mean? Like there's all types of evils that also need to be named and dismantled and decolonized. And so um, for me, it was important to provide that nuance um, in there and just kind of like how we kind of participate in those, how we can participate in those things unknowingly and unwittingly. So hopefully there's something in there for everybody. But that was my process, having to go back into the recesses of my mind and then read my old article, of course, um, in order to provide something new. I think that nuanced conversation is so important because uh, the question is so many, especially Black women, um, that we will have to ask ourselves and even maybe overcome some shame around is, how did I get colonized? Right. Was I born this way? Right. It's something that I used to um, hold in a position of adoration, Mm -hmm. respect, you know, so many of us have favorite authors that we read after a decolonizing experience and we can't go back without yeah. some embarrassment, some shame. Yeah. Um, how do uh, how how did we get colonized and what and what is that? What is that? Yeah. Well, so so the, so this is what I, so I think this is the, the part of the, the chapter. Which I'm trying not to give too much away now, but <laughs> but <laughs> I do think that. Um, that's why it was important. So there is a there is a delicate balance because if you say everything, then you end up saying nothing, right? But it is true that this is just a theological fact that we have been colonized, all of us, and colonized by sin primarily. That's one, okay? And Satan being the chief colonizer, okay? So none of us are exempt from it. 
Now, how does that manifest, you know, and then do now do we then in turn try to go and colonize other people, you know? And so colonization um, in its, in the traditional um, sense of the word, you know, is when, um, when indigenous lands and in, that belong to indigenous people are um, literally taken by force uh, through violence, through sexual assault, right? Um, where they're, um, they're, the mineral resources of the land, the land is snatched from them um, and uh, in a way that's violent, you know? And this has happened uh, all over the globe, including America, uh, hello. Um, you know, and so we have settler, you know, well, first of all, our indigenous neighbors can attest to that. Um, and the fact that they are, um, a small part of the population is evidence, you know, of the evil of, um, colonization. So I want, I do want to say that, um, clearly, um, that this land is not our land. You know, um, and so that's important to say. So anyway, so so that is what colonization is in a very, very basic sense. Of course, I have a, you know, a more expansive definition and more technical definition in the book. Um, and so and, and then we, we go in and then we try to make uh, we try to make other people in our own image. That's what colonizers do. So they go in and then they also strip them of their their culture. They strip them of their language. They strip them of their land. Uh, they dispossess them of their um, resources, uh, snatch away their family, uh, take away their agency. The list goes on and on. Uh, there, there really is no limit, you know, to the reach um, and the impact of, uh, colonization. And so, 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 and then part of that is that they're trying to make people in their own image. Right. And so your name, your ethnic name that you receive or from your family passed down maybe, or chosen and selected, right. Because that name is meant to be prophetic and, 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 um, speak to who you will be and who you will become isn't taken, you know, that that's pretty violent. Um, and oftentimes taken by force. And then changed, right? And I, I give an example of that, a very concrete example of how that um, happened, you know, and how and how that legacy uh, impacts my own narrative and my my family, uh, my own family history. And so, and I ain't gonna get too much more. <laughs> you gotta read the book. But, but yeah, but, but there are real wages. There are real wages. This this is not some theory or us being dramatic or just using. Um, um, violence that's not either that's not tethered to the actual meaning because I do think that sometimes that word I'm sorry I'm just gonna say I think that word is overused I don't think everything is violent <laughs> I just you know I do think it is overused but no co- colonialism is absolutely absolutely violent you know um if you want to learn a little more more I commend concerning violence to you um people just YouTube it you know Lauren Hill does the um voiceover or narration in that documentary, it's on, it's on YouTube. Um, so yeah, but in, in that book, that's, that's kind of, I'm talking about those things and I'm getting it obviously from, um, I'm putting France Fanon. Okay. Um, in conversation with Jesus and Esther. And so I think it's, inter- it's an interesting approach. I think, I don't know, <laughs> to, to the colonial, uh, decolonial, uh, conversation, if you will, from a spiritual vantage point anyway.
Yeah. And I think that there's, there's so much space to, you know, like you were saying to receive the truth. Um, and one of the things that naming this fact, defining what colonization is yeah. and then defining its, its impact, it has, you know, sadly, it has deep historical, um, mirrors. It is really mirrored historically and not just in the structure of the United States and and other empires, but in the structure of their religions. Yes. yes, yes, Religion is so deeply structured after empire (laughs) on so many ways. Um, And so to be able to name this truth is often, like Jesus told us, so freeing. Mm -hmm. Just Hearing the truth mm-hmm. of what this really is can be so freeing. Um, have you experienced, I mean, I know you've taught on this, you wrote on it. What's been your experience of uh, people who feel liberated by this truth? Um, what are some of the joys that have come on the other side of expressing um, not just this, really a guidebook for yeah. decolonizing, um, but also just a a naming of what this mess is. How has that liberated your readers? Have people expressed joy to you? And have you experienced joy in just being able to write it, put it out there, honestly, without fear of repercussion? Right. Because that's, you know, when the article first was delivered, they rejected it. And that, I mean, that's kind of a something that often happens. But now you're kind of free to say it to the point where you're like, this is this is everyday mundane language to me. Exactly. It was then too. But you know, yeah, you just reminded me that there was a big kerfuffle, if you will, when that came out. And I was like, and I honestly had forgotten about it because there's been so many kerfuffles since then. As you know, you you know how this goes. You've had that. I've had that several. Come on now. How many times over? I was like, oh yeah, there was a big like controversy when I dropped this article. I I had forgotten to be quiet. You don't feel it anymore. It's kind of like, I mean, the truth really has just sort of like lifted burdens off. Well, it is. And then, you know, and then time always tells, always reveals the veracity of the prophecy. Always. So either, (laughs) either you will be proven to be true or false. Period. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, I said this years ago. Like, you know what I mean? And and that's not to toot my own horn. That, that's just a gift from God. That's a gift of God's grace. You know, that I have um, the ability to be able to see things far off and just call them for what they are and say it and be done and move on while people are still mad. People mad want to tag me, but I'm like, well, that's what God gave me to say. I, I don't know what else you want me to do, y'all. Okay. And, and then years later, it's like, oh, I guess what you did say was right. I mean, I'm Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, it has been helpful to see people and encouraging to, um, to see people say like, oh, you know, I just, I didn't think about Moses or even Esther in that way. And I, I didn't realize that our people had always been doing this, like that, that this is not some new phenomenon and, you know, and, and this is based off of the framework that I'm giving, right? So not in your like traditional understanding of what deconstruction or decolonization is I actually put forth a different framework as is my custom. And, and so people were like, Oh, we really have been doing this. This is like really good to know. I didn't, I did not know that, you know, and I was able to, you know, get some really good, um, you know, good source, you know, material, material from um, the late Dr. Katie um, Geneva Cannon, 
you know, had written about this. And I was like, oh, this is good. This is real good. You know, <laughs> just like, and, um, and just really, really helpful. You know, somebody that you greatly admire and respect and you go, okay, okay, this is, okay, this is helpful. And so I thought that was cool to be able to know that, okay, this is not new, you know, but we also, I think, as um, people that are in the public, I think do have a responsibility to, again, renew a conversation or repackage it, you know, or remix it um, in a way that people can understand it and receive it um, and take it in and truly take it in and take it to heart. And so that's what I tried to do. And I, yeah, it has been encouraging for people to be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that white juices was a problem. And they might not, they might not even mention that. They might not even say that because maybe they're, maybe they're embarrassed, Right. Maybe they feel some shame by like, oh, I, I didn't know. Like, you know, I, I didn't know this was a problem. I didn't realize, or I didn't even realize the ways that that image, you know, um, was uh, controlling me, you know, and, and, and causing limited be- beliefs about who I am and who I can be and, and who I see in the mirror reflected back to me. Um, and so that is cool. And so I'm really actually also looking forward to just when the, um, when, when people receive the book now or, and buy it, uh, just hearing more, you know, of the conversations and what people will say. And, and I'm sure there are people that don't, that won't agree and, and, and won't agree with my, um, thesis, you know, that I, 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 I say, I don't, I just don't believe the faith is colonized. I think it's, I think it's the, the the practice and the receptions and the ways, you know, that has been caused. But I don't think it's the faith per se. So, so I'm ex- I'm excited and interested to hear what the people say, you know, about more of the, what the people say about that chapter. And that makes us very excited to remind you that Truth Table. Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation is available right now wherever books are sold. And this chapter is in there along with many, many others. Uh, We talked to someone today who was like, you are not going to get through all the concepts in this book on the first or the second or third read. (laughs) That's good, right? And that was a Black woman, right? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm glad you're right. It's like, it's weird. It's it's dense. It's like almost, it's an... It's like, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I don't know, Michelle, what would you think? It's like, it's like, it's an easy read, but it's dense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of ideas flowing on every page and they're all accessible. They're all very, very accessible, but they're so deep. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Wait a minute. What'd she say? Wait, what? Why? That's a, hold on. That's right. Hold on. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's like an easy read in that the flow makes you want to keep reading it. Right. Because of the way the book is structured. Um, and some of the, I think even some of the little jokes, you know, that are in there that kind of keep you in it, but it's dense. I do think you probably need like a highlighter or a pen or something. And that's why at the back, we have my musings, those blank pages. Cause you're going to have some feelings and thoughts. I, I think like if you you got some feelings and thoughts. Your <laughs> whole notebook, not just those music. Yeah, exactly. That won't be enough. It won't be enough. It's just to get you started, though. And then, then go through right. your journal and then, you know, keep, continue writing, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, y'all. Pick up the book and read it and then give us your music so we can read them. So, anyway, Michelle, thank you for asking me questions about my chapter, Decolonize Discipleship. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, and of course, we want to thank you all for taking a seat at the table with us. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about behind our book, Decolonized Discipleship, using the hashtags 
Truth's Table and hashtag Truth's Table Book. Black women, we have a Black women's Facebook discipleship group on Facebook. So y'all make sure to go to Truth's Table's fan page, like the page, answer the questions so you can be admitted into the group and invite your homegirls. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth's Table, and, or you can email us your thoughts about this episode at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth's Table has a Patreon account, so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truth's Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bill York. Our video producer is Daryl Bradford. And we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table. Bye, y'all. <laughs>